It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Marcus Aurelius once said, Look back over the past with its changing empires that rose and fell, and you can foresee the future too. Good morning, everyone. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format, and we happen to be caller-friendly. Although, this morning, Jonathan, we have a different phone-in number. We might as well just mention that right now. Yes. Uh, because we're, um, we've got a few technical problems. So, if you'd like to give us a call today, the number for today only is 860-442-9956. 860-442-9956. So, Jonathan, what is the subject matter? Well, Rick, our question is, did the prophet Daniel see the future? And our theme text is found in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So we're going to talk about Daniel, talk about prophecy, and we have a special guest in to help us do that. But here, here's the thing, Jonathan. Everybody seems to want to know what's going to happen in the future. We are so interested in the future of our own lives, as well as the future of the world, that a multi-million dollar industry has emerged based on telling us what will be. Now think about it, from astrologers, to palm reading, to tarot cards, to fortune tellers, uh, though, to those who, who pose as mouthpieces of God, to those who claim to be in touch with the spirit world, and you can go on and on. <laughs> All of these endeavors are there to draw you in, take your money, in exchange for a look at the unknown. Meanwhile, back in the real world, there happens to be an ancient book that is full of prophecy and truth called the Bible. While it doesn't exactly tell us the future, it certainly describes what the future will look like. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. And to help us do that, we've got the guy with the eyes for the prophecies of the future. <laughs> we have a special guest with us this morning. Uh, his name is Bob Goodman. Bob, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? We are fine. It's great to have you with us. Great to be here, too. So, Bob, first of all, who are you, where are you from, and why are you here? <laughs> okay, I'm Bob Goodman. I'm from Orlando, Florida area, and I'm an elder in the Orlando Bible Students Church there. Okay, and you're here because you're going to be speaking at a Bible conference uh, later today. Yes, I am. And so we dragged you into the studio early in the morning. Yeah, and it's my pleasure. I've done it a few times and uh, really enjoyed the interaction, hearing from the folks on the phone and uh, addressing their questions. That's that's a real joy to me. So the question for this morning is really, it, it's a very deep question. Did the prophet Daniel see the future? We won't get to that exact question yet, but we're talking about some really serious biblical prophecy this morning. So, so Bob, I want to get started by, by looking at the subject and just sort of a general big question. Out of, out of all the biblical prophecies, both in the Old and New Testaments, what prophecy do you think is the greatest and most world-changing of all of them? Well, I, I really think it's the prophecy that Jesus gave that was, you know, seemingly very 
um, just just mentioned along the way when he said he would come again, he would return. And, of course, the reason is because of all the other promises that are associated with end time and then also his promise of a kingdom. So a lot of times, and this is it's already kind of an interesting approach, because a lot of times we don't look at Jesus as a prophet. We look at Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus as the Messiah, but the greatest prophecy ever given in Scripture was given by Jesus about his own return. Right. So, Absolutely. So that's what we're starting with, and we're going to look at that, and not only look at that prophecy through the words of Jesus, but interestingly, that, that prophecy of Jesus' return is all over Scripture. So, so let's get started. Uh, Jonathan, let's go to a Scripture in Job, Job chapter 19, verses 23 to 25, because this is a, a, a Scripture that is a prophecy of, of Jesus' return, but I don't know that we normally look at it quite that way. Oh, that my words were not written. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. So, Bob, before I get your comment on the, on the prophecy part of this, I, 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 it's fascinating that Job is saying, oh, if my words could only be written down so they could be read. <laughs> you know, and here we are. They're written, and we're reading them. But what is he talking about in, the, in, this, in, this, in this lament of Job? Yes, in this lament, I think we see a, a veiled reference to the return of our Lord. And, of course, even the first advent of the Lord was yet future at this point. So he didn't fully comprehend what he was prophesying, but now comes to the point that he says that uh, he shall return in the latter day, and I think we could perhaps substitute in the end times, Mm -hmm. uh, which brings it right down to our day. So quite often what we find in the Old and New Testament is we'll find corroborating scriptures where the Old confirms things that are said in the new, and I think this is one of those references. And it's a small reference, but it's a very specific reference. And you you mentioned there's a difference between Jesus having been here the first time and coming returning the second time. And when it says the latter day, it really gives you an idea of something that is going to be the second the second return, the second presence of Jesus. And uh, and again, Job lived long before Jesus ever walked the earth. So. He really didn't know what he was saying, but it was inspired by God, so we we could see it there. So you've got that one, and then we're going to get to several other Old Testament prophecies in terms of the return of Jesus, and we are going to be focusing on some prophecies in Daniel, uh, just not in this segment. We just want to lay some more groundwork. So, So let's go a little further then, and let's go to some of the things that Jesus actually said uh, in terms of talking about his own return and Jonathan, let's do this out of order. Let's go to John fourteen three, and then we're going to go back to Matthew 24. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So, so Bob, just give us a quick sense. What's the context of this statement that Jesus is making, and what's, what's, the, what's the hope that he's bringing? Well, really, the context is we we realized that uh, this was in his last days, so it was towards the end of his life, and he was giving them a promise, and it was a promise that at that time the disciples really didn't comprehend. I mean, he kept on uh, iterating that he was 
going to go and come again, but they didn't quite know. They were still expecting a great earthly kingdom that he would overthrow the powers to be and so forth. So their anticipation was not yet there on what the correct event was, but I think he was laying a seed. So we have a seed here. He laid this seed, and he knew that after his death, after he uh, disappeared from the scene, that they would start to review and rethink all the things that he had said. Right. And this one in particular was a promise of his return. And so this one in particular was a direct reference where he said, I will come again. So, and, and this is the night before he dies, and he's giving them this as an encouragement to say, look, it's going to get bad, but then it's going to get really good. And he doesn't give them a time frame in that, in that particular statement, but the night before he dies, he's, he's laying out that seed. And, and it's interesting because you, you, you said that they didn't seem to get what he was saying. And this isn't the only time he laid out that seed of, of returning. Oh, no, not at all. But, you know, I think what we have here is what, you know, as, as adults with our children, we call a teachable moment. So he had their attention. He realized they're going to go through very traumatic experiences. But in retrospect, they would look at back at the exact things that he had told them. And then these would become the precious promises that they would base their faith on. Because these disciples had always walked by sight. Right. They had right. seen Jesus. They had eaten with him. They had lived with him. They had seen him in action, person to person. And for the first time, they had to make a transition uh, in the days coming to faith. And that's not an easy thing. Well, you know, and, and, and that's a great way of describing it. They had always walked by sight. They had always had him with them. And it is a teachable moment. And when you realize you're teaching children, you know, what you referenced raising children. I know with my kids, I got pretty dumb when they were teenagers, but I got really smart afterwards. You know, and it's like, oh, that's why dad would always say those things. And so th- it's the same thing. So the 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 apostles really were focused on Jesus returning they understood that there were going to be end times but they didn't know how to put it into context so let's go to Matthew 24 1 to 3 uh, quickly just to because Jesus in, in Matthew 24 is actually answering their questions about this kind of thing and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple and Jesus said unto them see ye not all these things Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they're looking at the temple and they're marveling at the architecture and the beauty of the building. And Jesus says, well, it's not going to last. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world. So, so Bob, in this particular interchange, it's the apostles that are asking Jesus to help them understand because they know that he's going away and coming again. But, uh, well, just, just your comments on, on just what's going to happen in, in Matthew 24 in terms of answering their questions. Right, so he, they're setting up and asking him for the signs and the times of his return. So they perceive they're not clear as to what his return encompasses i don't think yet i don't think they comprehended and i think we can say that based on their reactions when he left the scene in a way that they didn't think he would right uh so they were very traumatized but it set it up and what he's also setting up for us at the end time he's saying not one stone will left be left upon another of course they are looking at a literal temple right and he's giving us a biblical principle 
that the entire current systems will be broken down so they can be raised up again for anew. All right. So, and, and again, we, our subject is going to focus on the prophet Daniel. We haven't mentioned Daniel, but all of this, when you get all of this as a backdrop, when you go back to the prophet Daniel, it all really fits in together really, really well. Right, and where that's going to come in is they pose the question about the signs and the times, and then when we go back and we look at Daniel, we're going to see in Daniel 12 that it talks about the signs and the times, so we actually have a direct correspondence, and Daniel also describes it as the end time or the end of times, and uh, so it, it does tie together. And it not only ties together, but it creates an amazingly exciting story that being able to look at it from this perspective, from our vantage point, you know, thousands of years later, gives you insight that you could have never imagined thousands of years before. Right. And so if you only read the New Testament account of this, then you would only get part of the story. Right. And so it really shows us how we have to harmonize the Old Testament and the New. And as you'll see in the program as we develop the thoughts on Daniel 12, you're going to see how these two integrate are integrated together and uh, really tell a wonderful story that's much richer than either on their own. And, and folks, and that's why you've got to look at the scriptures as a whole. Jonathan, very quickly, the return of Jesus, how does it happen? First Thessalonians 5, uh, Just we're going to read selected verses from 1 through 6. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Therefore, let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So, Bob, what this is showing us is later on in the New Testament, after Jesus has died and is risen, and you've got the, the churches being established, the the perspective on Jesus is going to return was very common and looked forward to uh, and it's interesting because there are scriptures that says, you know, every eye shall see him. But this one says he comes like a thief in the night. Now, we need to wrap up this segment, but just real quick, how can both be true? Well, I think <laughs> for those that are watching and waiting, they will see him. But why does he use this analogy of a thief in the night? You know, a thief in the night, in those times, there weren't street night lights. So the night was the really dark <laughs> the cover that they would sneak in and steal or spoil. But he's saying that those that are watching and waiting and anticipating the importance of understanding prophecy and being in anticipation, those individuals would see him and would recognize his presence. So the plot thickens. As we look at the return of Jesus, we're now going to look at it in the next segment through the eyes of Daniel and see what he says to put this into a very enlightened perspective. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Bob Goodman. Our subject, Did the Prophet Daniel See the Future? Coming up, which biblical prophet was most instrumental in helping us see the timing of Jesus' return? I know. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, 
Did the Prophet Daniel See the Future? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling our local number. Yeah, eight, and it's a different number different today. Number. Normally it's it's the 800 number, but today's different, so listen carefully. 860-442-9956. Again, that's 860-442-9956. And don't forget, you can message us on your app. So, let's get back into this. We've laid out some scriptures about the return of Jesus, and there's anticipation. Jesus taught his disciples to anticipate his return. The Old Testament teaches us to anticipate his return. I want to touch on two scriptures in Matthew 24, and we're going to read them from the Rotherham translation. So, Jonathan, I'm going to ask you to read these two scriptures Together, Matthew 24, 3, and then read Matthew 24, 27. And then, Bob, I want to ask you the significance of, uh, we already read one of them, so why are we reading it again from a different translation? And I'm going to give you the answer ahead of time, folks. You've got to pay really close attention to, 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 to Bob's perspective on this because it changes everything when you're looking at this prophecy. So Matthew 24, 3, and then 27. And as he was sitting upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him, privately saying, Tell us when these things shall be, and what the sign of thy presence and the conclusion of the age. For just as the lightning goeth forth from the east and shineth unto the west, so shall be the presence of the Son of Man. So, Bob, what is there the, the significance? We, we chose the Rotherham translation specifically here. Why? What, what changed in these, in these verses because of translation? Well, first of all, Rotherham is a particularly precise translation according to the, uh, the Greek. And he changed the word from coming to, or coming to presence. The nerve of him. <laughs> but did he change it? You okay. Know, actually, in dealing with, uh, with, people that speak different languages in different Bible translations in different languages, most of them do not have this issue. Most of them are accurately translated as presence. So wait, let, let me just pause, because this is important. So you're saying then that in Matthew 24, verse 3, when the apostles are asking him, "What shall be? Uh, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? Really, more accurately should read, what shall be the sign of thy presence? And of the conclusion of the age. Correct. All and right. if we go back to the uh, strong concordance and look at the words, in fact, it is presence and not coming. So what we're looking at is most people perhaps prefer King James, and so this is the way we've always heard it. But if you actually look at some of the more modern translations that are more precise, like Rotherham, New International, New Living uh, Testament, or New Living Translation, they accurately say presence which changes the whole thing so i i come into the a room but once i'm there i am present Present. so he's not coming in through the door what's the sign of you being here and returning as a thief in the night so then because a lot of people look at the scriptures and say wow look at the signs of the times it means jesus is coming well, perhaps what we should be doing is saying, wow, look at the signs of the times. It means Jesus is 
here. Presence. Now, that's a whole different ballgame. Hold on to that thought, folks, as we now begin to develop some of the scriptures uh, in Daniel. So now we're going to focus on Daniel. And, uh, folks, this is where it really gets to be very, very exciting and interesting. If you have a thought, uh, we have a, 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 a local number just for today. Our number for today to call in is 860-442-9956, 860 860- Four four two nine nine five six. So, Jonathan, let's go to Daniel twelve one to four. There are several pieces in these verses, and then once you go through them, Bob, we're just going to see if we can try to sort of overview what what Daniel's prophecy is saying piece by piece. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars for ever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And that last verse, I think, is is often quoted in our in our Christian world today about the time of the end and running to and fro and knowledge being increased. And folks, we're going to spend a lot of time on that in the second hour because it's fascinating how we can really see that come come to be. But before that, Bob, before that really exciting part, there's all of these other details kind of laid out. So let's kind of go through them one at a time. First of all, it says, Michael stands up for the children of thy people. What does that mean? Well, who have been the people of God? Israel. God, God identified Israel as his people. And so Michael's going to stand up. Now, what kind of a change would happen to Israel? Well, they were a nation, and then for almost 2,000 years, they were not a nation. And unlike any other people in, in history, they came back together as a nation. And we think this is an indication of God's overruling uh, in the lives of the nation of Israel. His people. Okay. So Michael stands up. So you're saying that the, the, his people are, are Israel, and the fact of Israel being reestablished as a nation is a fact of biblical prophecy fulfilled. Correct. And, of course, there are other prophecies in Ezekiel about the dry bones right. coming back together and the sinews and the skin and the muscle and so forth. And it's really a picture of that nation coming back together. So it's no surprise when you look at, again, you focus on, a, a lot on the Old Testament where all these prophecies are and we can sort of draw them in. All right, so you've got that sort of as a backdrop for this Daniel 12. You've got Michael standing up for the children of thy people. This also helps us frame the time frame, too, because we realize, you know, when the nation of Israel became a nation, and it says this is going to ha- happen when? During the end times. Okay, so you've got the end times, and, and that's actually mentioned later on in, in these few verses. So let, let's go through. And then, so he says, Michael stands up, and there shall be a time of trouble. Now, there's always been trouble. So what's the big deal? Well, there has always been trouble in the world, and there have been trouble in different parts of the world. We've even had world wars, but really we're in a time of trouble now that has not been seen throughout history that is worldwide and it seems as though people are very anxious and nervous and things are just teetering on the brink of 
falling apart. And it's not just in the United States. It's worldwide. Okay. So there's a time of trouble. And, and Daniel says, such as never was since there was a nation. So it's giving you a sense of, yes, there's going to be trouble, but it's going to be different. And it, it sounds to me like Daniel's saying it's going to be recognizably different. Well, you know, for the first time in history, since the 50s, we've had the ability to destroy all life on Earth. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> and, you know, in the past, there were wars and rumors of wars and so forth, but never has the capability been there to destroy the planet yeah. and all life on it. So I think that qualifies pretty well as <laughs> okay. so, so a there, there's time a of trouble. Okay. And, and now we're worried about rogue nations pulling the... Uh, pushing the pushing button, the button. Well. right, right, yeah, yeah, and 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 so so there is a significant difference today versus times before. Uh, two other points brought out in these Daniel verses: resurrection and reconciliation. Just Bob, a brief description. W- what is that all about? Well, a resurrection is is promised, and this is one of God of Jesus's promises after his return is that there would be a resurrection of the dead. Haven't seen that yet. People are still going in the grave. That's true. And they're not coming out. And reconciliation or restitution to uh, to reconstitute, to reset the earth as it was. You know, we're tremendously concerned as natural people about our physical environment and about degradation of, of this world. And yet the Bible also promises there'll be a time of restoration or restitution of all things so and it's interesting because you have those things and those are obviously future you know so you're looking more at the time of trouble as well that's more now now you've got some pieces that are obviously future then he talks about the time of the end and i just to put the time of the end in perspective the time of the end and the time of trouble are different what's the difference between those two things well the question we might pose is the end of what okay good and it's the end of uh, the systems that we have as we know them. So the the broken governments that we have, uh, the legal system, all of these mechanisms, the monetary system, the religious social systems, all of these things are functional but basically broken. And they have to be torn down before God can establish his kingdom and build anew. And it's kind of like a construction site. You've got to clear the ground. Right. You've got to do that before you can lay the new foundation. But you're working on the project because you're clearing the ground. You're clearing the ground. Uh, you're also establishing the nation of Israel so that they can help dispense that in the kingdom. Okay, so we've got these elements. We also have knowledge being increased and running to and fro. We're going to hold off on those two points at this point uh, because we're going to spend a lot of time in the second hour on this. Here's the thing. and, and Folks, it's important to understand that when we look at prophecy – one of the one of the challenges I have noticed amongst the Christian community in looking at prophecies like this is the Christian community tends to like to lump everything together into one big ball of prophecy. And I, and I want to establish the idea that the time of the end and the time of trouble, while one works inside the other, are very, very different. And I think the next few verses in Daniel we're going to touch on is going to begin to explain to us that there is a difference between the two. And again, we're going to expand this further as the program goes. So, Jonathan, let's go to Daniel 12, verses 7 through 8. And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. 
and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? All right, Bob. Those verses are just weird. Come on. I mean, <laughs> so, again, we're going to develop them in, in a lot of detail, but just give an overview. What What is being prophesied in these verses, Daniel 12, 7 through 8? Well, he's really giving us some idea of the end time, and he's giving us a very veiled reference to some chron- chronology. So he's talking about times, uh, a time, times, and half a time. Okay, what the heck? Time, time. Speak English. <laughs> you know? Exactly, and that's that. This is one of the uh, challenges we have with Bible chronology: is that it's given in very veiled language. So you're saying that this is the, this prophecy is actually giving you a, a a time measuring device. Correct. Okay. So what is that? How is that? We will find out. Um, so. Oh, phone number, right. <laughs> Folks, if, you want, if you'd like to join us, uh, if you have a question or a comment, uh, we have a local number for today. It's 860-442-9956, 860-442-9956. So in Daniel, you have all of these elements, Michael standing up for Israel, a time of trouble, resurrection, reconciliation, time of the end, knowledge increased, running to and fro, and then a time-measuring device is inserted into this Daniel 12 prophecy. And then let's go a little further in Daniel 12. And, and folks, we're, 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 we're just giving an overview of these verses. We're going to get into them in a lot more detail as the program unfolds, because this is really where we're going to park ourselves as Daniel 12. Daniel 12, verses 9, uh, 9 through 12. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed the time of the end. So the time of the end is mentioned again, and he's saying nobody can understand this until such a time comes. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from on, from that time that the daily sacrifices shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. All right, Bob. Now help me on this because you, 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 we talked about this this time times and a half a time, and now he's throwing out these other numbers. He's talking about days now. First you're talking about times, and now you're talking about days. One thousand two hundred and uh, 90 days, and then 1,335 days. What, what's happening here? What, what are we being focused on? Well, what we're being focused on is he's giving us a number of time prophecies, but he's using different units. So this is where we can get into a little confusion. So when he talks about time, times, and half a time, what is a time? Now, if if uh, there are other scriptures in the Bible, and this would be uh, a multi-hour uh, study if we were to go into them, but basically a time is the number of days in a Jewish year, which was 360. Okay. And if we have that key and we know that a time is 360, times is 2 times 360, and a half a time is 180, if we add those up, we come up with 1260. 1260 days. And there, so we have 
within this Daniel scripture, we've got a 1260, a 1290, and a 1335 days. Okay, so we're talking about days. Does that mean we just have to wait this number of days and then everything's going to happen? What's going on here? This inquiring mind wants to know. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Bob Goodman. Our subject is, did the prophet Daniel see the future? Coming up. So can we pinpoint the time of the end and the connected events? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Did the Prophet Daniel See the Future? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling. This is our local number for today only, 860-442-9956. Again, that's 860-442-9956. Or you could message us on your app. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. All right. So... Folks, now we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of some of this and, and, and put this prophecy of Daniel with the veiled language of the time and the times and the half a time and the days and Michael standing up and reconciliation and resurrection and the time of trouble and the time of the end. All of these pieces, we're going to try to, 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 to organize them into an understandable uh, teaching that that daniel put, puts out there and, and 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 bob daniel didn't know what he was writing no he didn't know he was a prophet but as as is almost always the case the prophets were prophesying things that were future right and so they had no basis to translate reality right so he doesn't know what he's writing but he's obedient and he writes what 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 the spirit of god is is directing him to write correct okay so Let's start with the days. You were talking about days, and you translated the time, times, and half a time into a number of days. So now you've got a consistency of right. days. So was Daniel supposed to count days, or what do you do with the days to help it become the reality of what the prophecy really means? Well, we have other scriptures that, that say um, a, a day for a year, and there are multiple scriptures out there, actually, that, that tie that in. So... Now we can translate that a day is a year. So now we have 1,260 years, 1,290 years, and 1,335 years. And what do we do with that? Right. And that's going to be my next question. But, you know, you said there's multiple scriptures. Just, folks, just as a reference, Ezekiel, for instance, was told to lay on his side. Remember, I think it was for 40 days. And, and God explains to him, 40 days, a day for a year. So he tells them, this is why you do this, and each day you do this is going to represent a year. So there's scriptural authority to tell us you should take days in a prophetic environment and translate them into years. Okay, let's do that. Now what? What is it that... So at that point, it would be really difficult to know when this stuff would have started. Finding a starting point, right? Because you're like, okay, well, what do you what are you starting with to get to? You're not even sure what you're ending with. Correct. And <laughs> so, so I I ahead. think the key is, you know, in the scriptures he says it will be shut up until the end. 
So it's not going to be understood until the end time. Now, what does that mean to us? Right. What does that mean to us? Go ahead. That means that there are events in the end time that would mark one of these events. Okay. And with that, you have the secret key that allows you to unlock. So until that event happens, how could he say with certainty, no one was going to figure this out until the end? It had to be because there was an event that would happen that would key people into an end time event, which would only occur in the end time and would only be viewable from a, you know, looking back, it's happened. So before it happened, we couldn't have that reference. But with that reference, we could track back and then we can lay all of these scriptures in, uh, in alignment and see what events they now point to. Okay. That's a big job. And but you know that is a very significant way of looking at things, and from a human standpoint, that is common. Sometimes we have uh, a chain of events. You know, we were talking last night um, about the 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 uh, financial market crash of two thousand and eight, and after the crash of two thousand and eight, people looked back, and you could say, okay, I can see what happened because now looking back, I can see this piece happened because this was put in place, because that was put in place, because that was put in place, because that started back in 1978. And it took all this time for all of these things to come to fruition. The we, cascade effect. Right. We, so it's common for us to look at dramatic events and be able to trace them carefully once it's happened and just look back and say, okay, now I see the pieces. So hindsight is twenty twenty. Foresight is... Good luck. (laughs) So where then the time of the end? Because it was talked about, the the 1260 days was talked about in relation to the time of the end. So, Bob, I want you to to, to go out out on a limb, and then we're going to have to fill in the gap. What do you think was the beginning? What year do you think was the beginning of the time of the end? And I'm asking you to tell us this without any explanation, and then we're going to go back and fill it in. Okay, I think the year was 1799. All right, so let, let's pause there for a second. Where did I come up with that? Well, yeah, yeah. And the other what thing... What happened then? <laughs> well, and the other thing that's kind of weird about that is when we say the time of the end, again, in the, in the Christian community, we think of the time of the end, and we think of all the things, like right now, all of the intensity of things. And you, If you say to somebody, well, the time of the end started in 1799, it's like you're going... Wait, that's that's ancient history. How could that possibly be the time of the end? Any first of all, any thoughts on that before what happened and how to trace that back? Well, as we know with God there are many processes and off, often things start with very tiny seeds. In this case not so tiny because I think we have prophecies that and we have a description here that'll help us zero in on that date 1799. So the time of the end houses many, many different things. It's a process. Yes. Right. And, and I think that's the thing you got to get. The time of trouble is a little tiny piece of the time of the end. The restoration of Israel is a little tiny piece of the time of the end. All of these things are pieces of the time of the end, which is the big umbrella period in which things change. So the question is, what changed how do we know, and what does it mean? Folks, if you have a thought for today, our number is different than normal. Today it's a local number, only today, 860-442-9956, 860 
1-800-227-5656. And don't forget to sign up for Seeker Rewind, the full edition. You want to be able to do that with a program like this because it's pretty complicated. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. All right. So, so Bob, let's go to the, 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 the knowns of this prophecy in Daniel. We know about the great increase of knowledge. We know about the time of trouble. We know about Israel. Those are the things that are really easy to kind of figure out. There's, right. there's other pieces. He talks about an abomination of desolation. There's, there's, there's all of these other things that go on. So, 1799. What is it that happened in 1799, and why is it important? Okay, once again, these are prophetic, so you have to really delve into them. The casual reader will not pick up this. But let's look at Daniel 12:7, where it talks about time, times, and half a time. And what does it say will be accomplished? And when she, he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So he's, he's actually identifying an end point because he says it's going to be finished at this time. He's given you the period, 1260, and then he says what's going to happen? To scatter the power of the holy people. Yeah, and then the next words of Daniel are very appropriate. And I heard, but I understand not. <laughs> Which is exactly what we said. You right. Know, the prophet was a, a, a spokesperson or a mouthpiece, but he didn't really comprehend because until the end time, it wouldn't be understood. But now he says these things are finished. So he's saying this is an end point, and what is the scattering of the power of the holy people? Okay, what is that? Well, we think what it is is the really the uh, breakdown of the power of the Catholic Church which occurred in 1799 when the Pope, under the captivity of Napoleon, died, and then another Pope was not allowed to be established. And even among the Catholic system, if you look, this is the low point in their history. Okay. By their own recognition. All right. So, so let's, let, let, let's go a little bit further in terms of trying to understand what this would mean from a prophetic perspective. Now, now, look, we're looking at history, we're looking at scripture, and I want to lay out just a couple of basic scriptural principles um, to, to just try to make this conversation really, really work. And, and that is that the true church of God through Christ was never meant to be a, an organization such as it has become. It was, if you look at the establishment of the true church and the true followers of Jesus, they worked in small local groups. The only head was Jesus Christ. And even the apostles didn't call themselves heads of the church. The apostle Paul went around setting up churches, but he didn't say, like, you know, you guys all answer to me. Uh, so the direction that Christianity went for many, 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 many years took the concept of the true church and basically polluted it and said, let's make it like everything else. And, and that seems to be a human nature thing. And so you have the growth of the systems of Christianity. The largest of those was the, the papal system, correct? Correct. So what does this have to do with establishing the end times? What, what was it that happened within that particular system through all of that time? Because, you know, you, 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 we say, okay, if you're saying the end times begins at 1799, okay, right? That's where we're starting. Right. Or that's where we're ending, but that's where we're starting. Well, so the 1260 <laughs> is ending 
1799. So if we do the math, it takes us back to 539 A.D. Okay, so 12, uh, 1799 minus 1260 equals 539. 539. Well, there's a date that everybody just seems to know about. Oh, yeah, remember what happened in, fi- what happened in 539? Well, you know, from a historical <coughs> standpoint, you really have to search. And it takes a little bit to prove. But what happens was, uh, remember the uh, in the Italian peninsula, there was, uh, this was the end of the Roman Empire, or the breakdown, and Justinian was enlisted to throw out the Ostrogoths. To ev- the, he enlisted them to uh, the Ostrogoths to evict the Vandals in Italy. And we all know what the word Vandal means. Mm-hmm. This was a, a tribe that had come down and occupied. So the Roman general enlisted this other people to, to put out the Vandals, and uh, that worked, but then these, this other tribe became a problem. And in 539, Belisarius was sent to evict the Ostrogoths, but he was recalled in 539 back to to uh, back. So what happened was the only power left in the Italian peninsula was this pseudo church, which became the papal system. So so that would be a very small beginning of that papal system. The holy people that are mentioned here down to 1799 so we see it actually trues up really nicely all right so let me let me see if i can restate that so what you're saying is in 539 there was a a political void that was fulfilled by what became the papal system right all right and so christianity became seriously political at that point or or had its beginnings to to become that way correct and that's a very small beginning. But then from there you have an unbroken growing power. Is that – historically, is that, is that what happened? Absolutely, yeah. And um, so, so you have that power growing and developing and becoming bigger and bigger. And, of course, you know, we, we know about the, 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 the strength of the, the papal system within worldwide governments and so forth and, and how influential it was throughout the world – until 1799, where that unbroken growing power came to an abrupt halt. Right. And it was a, an abrupt halt that no one could uh, really question. I mean, it was known by all. The, the next pope was not elected. Right. And, and, you know, there's that famous painting, I think, of Napoleon crowning himself. You know, where, you know, the Pope would always be the one to, to do the crowning, and Napoleon comes in and says, Haha, no, I'm the guy now. And so he's literally wrenched all of the power from that system and has taken it upon himself. So he, there, there was this massive interruption of what had been growing and dominating, especially the Christian world. And so it exactly is described by the scattering of the power of the holy people. That's exactly what happened. So now we we really do have a solid time frame there, and it all goes back to 539 A.D. All right, so that establishes the beginning of the time of the end. It's complicated. That's why you want Seeker Rewind, the full edition. Sign up. It's a free service at ChristianQuestions.com because it will be on paper, much easier to follow. So if we have the established beginning of the time of the end, Now what we can do in the second hour is go through that period of time of the time of the end and trace how it developed and see where we are and see where within that 
big context of the time of the end, the return of Jesus comes into play, the great time of trouble comes into play, Israel's restoration, and then finally uh, restitution and resurrection. So, folks, do not go away because the second hour is going to put together some of the basis that we've started with here in the first. Uh, We'll be back after the news and all of that. But until then, did the prophet Daniel see the future? He didn't see it, but he told us about it in a veiled way, and now we understand it. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we'll be back soon. But till then, think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Confucius said, If you think in terms of a year, plant a seed. If in terms of 10 years, plant trees. If in terms of 100 years... Teach the people. And that's really what this is all about this morning. Good morning. Welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is that subject uh, this morning? Rick, our question is, did the prophet Daniel see the future? And our theme text comes from Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So we are looking at the prophet Daniel and this prophecy of Daniel 12 and taking it apart. And we have with us this morning a very special guest, Bob Goodman. Thank you for staying with us, Bob, after that first hour. Well, you're welcome. It was a tough hour, a lot of details, a lot of technicalities going on in that first hour. But it was a necessary uh, foundation so we could really talk in this hour about how it all looks right now. So, Bob, just give us a, a, a very brief recap of what, what we established in the, in the first hour. Well, with regards to chronology, we established that in 1799, the papal power was, uh, was injured for a period when Napoleon uh, uh, had the Pope in captivity and he died during captivity. That gave us an end point to go back to the year 539. And what we're going to establish this hour is that we've got 1260, 1290, and 1335 days. All of those start on that 539 date and days equal years in bible prophecy right okay so you have the 1260 starting at 500 539 ad and going to 1799 and there was a dramatic change in the world of christianity and and in the world essentially because of of what happened to the to the papal system at that point so that is the beginning of the time of the end the time of the end is a very broad time that has a lot of things happening within it and in this hour, we're going to, now that we've figured that out, now that we've put that in place, now we're going to take a look at what happens within the time of the end and the evidences of where we are and the evidences of the return of Jesus as well. So, folks, if you have a thought, uh, you can certainly uh, message us through your uh, CQ app or you can call us today, today only. We had some technical problems with our phone number, so today we have a local number you can call. It's 860 442 9956. 860 442 9956. 
1-800-227-8856. We want to encourage you to sign up for Seek Your Rewind, the full edition, available through your app or through ChristianQuestions.com. It is a free service, and it can put this program in perspective, and there's an awful lot of detail that you're going to want to put into perspective. So let's let's get started now. Time of the end. Things change, Bob, right? I mean, that's really the, the, the key here. The time of the end is, is the time when things change in a very dramatic way. Absolutely, absolutely. We saw dramatic changes, of course, starting after 1799 in France. It really started the overthrow of these uh, these Roman empires, this king system. That was the beginnings, not really completed until 1914. But we saw all the seeds coming forth to the modern world that we have today. So th- there, you have that 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 starting point which may not be as dramatic as you'd like it to be, but things just grow and develop over time through that. And God's the way God's plan works. His plan doesn't ever work like in an instant. It always takes a lot of time. So let's go to a soundbite, because we want to sort of trace the development of the Industrial Revolution through the 1700s into the 1800s and to where we are, and Bob's going to fill in a whole lot of amazing detail as we look at this. So this is going to be a um, just from a short documentary. We got this off of YouTube on the Industrial Revolution. In the late 1700s, most people worked in the fields on land they did not own. Those who owned the land, called aristocrats, lived refined lives in elegant manor houses. Servants raised their children and did their housework. The landowners and the people who worked for them depended upon each other. It was a system that had existed for centuries. In towns across England and the United States, a series of extraordinary innovations would alter the way people lived and worked for the next 150 years. So he talked about the next 150 years, and he said in the late 1700s. So that brings us to the time of the end, and then into the time of the end, and into actually the early 1900s. So let, let's take a look at, you know, we're talking about the Daniel prophecy. He says, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Um, let's talk a little bit about knowledge. Living at this time in this world, we're used to our knowledge base changing very, very rapidly. We know it's changing faster now than ever, but I'm not sure that we understand just how much. So, so Bob, give us a sense of, of knowledge and a little bit of the history of knowledge changing and developing in the world in which we live in comparison to, you know, several years ago. Well, you know, there, <clears throat> there are studies out there that show between the, uh, the start of time to the uh, 1870s, if we take that as one unit, we can look at how knowledge doubles since then. And what we see is that it has gone up dramatically to where now, today we're told uh, that knowledge doubles every two years. Okay, so now let's, let let me back up on that just a little bit further because you say the beginning of time to the 1870s. Why do you pick the 1870s? Does that have anything to do with Daniel? Yeah, it does, because remember we said we have a starting point of uh, 539 A.D. Right. If we take the 1,335 years and add to that, we come up with a, a date of 1874. So? This is of interest to us because it's it's a time of enlightenment. 
And we think it's the time also of the Lord's presence. So the Lord's presence as a thief in the night. But as the thief in the night, and again, a thief in the night is undetected. Unless you're watching. <laughs> okay. All right. So undetected unless you're watching. But the signs, and that's why, folks, try, try, to, try to get this, let this sort of sink in. The reason we're given signs is because you don't know he's there. But if you look at the environment, you can tell. You can't see him, but you can see the environment changing. So from the, the point, this, this measuring the increase of knowledge um, back uh, around the, the, the late 1870s, 1874, for instance, as, as, as the, the pinpoint from 1799 uh, to 1874, from 539 to 1874, there have been dramatic changes in terms of measuring knowledge. And you said now right. knowledge if you, doubles. If you saw the bell-shaped curve, it goes almost straight up now. So all accumulated knowledge down to 1874, if that was one unit, since then it's gotten smaller and smaller to where every two years knowledge doubles. So, but so, not, so wait, wait. that's not the only measure. Okay, but wait, let me just make sure that's, that's clear. So from year one to year 1874, you increased, you doubled. That was one unit. And now you're doubling every... Two years. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. That's dramatic. Yeah, it is. Well, and of course it's due to... The accumulation of knowledge with telecommunications, with collaborative, with computers, uh, with people being able to collaborate from around the world despite languages. You know, we now have Google Translate and all these other services, so even the language barrier is starting to drop. And so people are able to collaborate literally around the world real time. Okay, let's go back to another soundbite talking about machines, and then I want you to, to, to give us a sense of the practicality of this great increase of knowledge in terms of data. But first, let's go to this next soundbite from the, the YouTube um, documentary on the Industrial Revolution. Inventors had found new ways to harness nature's energy. They built new kinds of machine powered by water, steam, and coal. The new machines replaced hand-powered tools. They did the same work, only cheaper and faster. Much of the work was done outside the home in specially designed buildings, the first factories. Mechanization began in the textile mills of England, where one machine attached to a spinning wheel could do the work of 50 people. Fuel, clothing, and food all became more affordable. So you have this, this dramatic change by the creation of the idea of factories rather than everybody working at home. And that's what the development is. Let's focus, though, from the standpoint of data. When you look at the data that we have, we thrive on information. We can access it from all over the world. What was the data uh, usage back in earlier times versus now. You know, you, you have s- several things that, that we have listed we wanted to talk about. Uh, you know, smallest detectable objects. Let's start with that. You know, something, how, how small could we see then and how small can we see now? Yeah, this is where we really get to the totally amazing that allow us to really see the magnitude of the increase of knowledge. It's so in your face, you, you can't believe it. So, in the 1874 time frame, there were microscopes that could magnify by a factor of 1,000. Okay, and that's pretty dramatic when you think about it because b- long before that, they couldn't do that even close. And you say, well, that's a pretty, pretty dramatic change. What about now? So now we have the uh, atomic force microscope, 
and we can actually see silicon dioxide molecules, and that's 700 billion times amplification, <laughs> uh, magnification. So, you know, just just off off the scale comparatively. So, so <laughs> we're seeing things that they didn't even know existed in the 1874 times. So you could you had a microscope that could magnify a thousand times back then and now we can see things that are magnified 700 billion billion not million 700 billion times. So we can actually see images of molecules. That just that blows my mind completely. But that's that's not it uh, that's not it as well there's we can look at the farthest detectable objects. All right. So now we went from seeing the tiniest of the tiniest of the tiniest. We can multi- multi- multiplication see 700 billion times. Now you're going to see how far away you can see. Yeah. And All at right. that time, there was a, skele- a telescope that could see about 10 light years away. And that's pretty darn far. But now we have the Hubble Space Telescope. And there's a new telescope coming up soon that will be more powerful. But Hubble can see... 13 billion light years. <laughs> now, a light year is the length, the, the, the distance it takes light to travel in one year. Right. Okay, so it was 10 light years, 150 years ago or so, and now you can see 13 billion light years, light years away. What does that curve look like? Once again, it goes in a steep curve and goes straight up. Right. That's not only it, though, but once you can see farther, you can also see more objects. Okay. So in 1874, there was a thing called galaxy theory. They didn't realize that there was more than, let alone more than one galaxy. They had a theory that there were galaxies. Today, we see 100 billion galaxies with Hubble. (laughs) That's crazy. And within those 100 billion galaxies... There's an average predicted of 100 billion stars per galaxy. What a creator when you think about it. And, and you know, for those of us who think that this all happened by accident, I say, check your thinking, okay? <laughs> Just let's check your thinking. Okay, so, so you're talking about seeing distances and seeing small and seeing large and all that. What about, what about time increments? And we're almost out of time for this segment, so our time increment is short. Okay, <laughs> so we'll, we'll be quick. In 1874 time frame, uh, the best watch could lose up to a a second every five days okay so that was pretty good and that was necessary for navigation and so forth we now have a mercury ion clock today that loses uh one times 10 to the negative 18 seconds oh yeah like i'm going to understand what that means (laughs) that means you instead of losing one second every five days you lose one second every 400 million years. That's how accurate it is. <laughs> yeah, but what about that one second? That's what I want to know. <laughs> so, And they're working on a more accurate clock. Why? Why do you need something more accurate than that? All of our telecommunications, all of our computers work on clocks. Mm-hmm. The faster those clocks work, the more accurate we are. For instance, GPS, the more accurate your clock, you can get down to very fine increments of exactly where you are in three dimensions. So when we think of the idea of the great increase of knowledge, folks, there it is no surprise when you look at the world today to say, wow, we are here. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Bob Goodman. And our subject is, did the prophet Daniel see the future? Coming up, Daniel wrote that humanity will run to and fro. Did he have any idea what that means? That's next. 
You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Did the Prophet Daniel See the Future? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling today our local number, 860-442-9956. That's 860-442-9956. And don't forget to interact with us at our website at ChristianQuestions.com on Facebook. And you can tweet us at CQNet Radio. And we're now um, offering Instagram, I I believe. That's right. We're on Instagram. And, folks, coming up in just a few weeks, we will begin podcasting as well. So, you know, we're talking about the great increase of knowledge. I have no idea what I'm doing with that, but we're doing it. <laughs> okay. uh, let others take care That's of that, right. Rick. That's right. We'll, we'll just, they tell me what buttons to push, and I push them, okay? So podcasting will be coming up weeknight. Podcasting will be coming up for Christian Questions very, very soon. Well, Rick, this is a fascinating discussion that Bob is bringing us to. And Daniel way back when, is talking about where we're living here and now. And I wanted to reread part of that prophecy so we really understand these things that Daniel mentioned that Bob is explaining to us. That's Daniel 12.4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So we're working on those two phrases. We started with knowledge shall be increased, and Bobby really laid out for us knowledge being increased. And and just give us a sense of where we came from in terms of all the way up to the Industrial Revolution, uh, in, into the 1700s and the 1800s, and where we are now, now in terms of the way the world has changed. Well, if we look from a uh, sociological standpoint, early on man was a hunter-gatherer of food and they were subsistence and so forth later on we entered the agricultural era and that's when they found that you know raising certain crops that they could maintain food which allowed them to advance in other areas what we've just been describing was the industrial era when mechanization started to take over machines uh, amplified man's work and workload so so human power and animal power started to drop out and we are now in the information age and very very much so what you said in in the last segment is mind-boggling in terms of the information age so let's now focus on the running to and fro fred let's go back to another soundbite from that short documentary on the industrial uh, revolution because it really gives us a sense of opening up the door to running to and fro With the development of locomotives and steamboats, manufactured goods could now be sold halfway around the world. Families moved from the villages of their ancestors to new industrial towns. And a new class of people emerged, workers who produced goods. Industrialists, the people who owned the factories, employed hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. And they made enormous profits in their industrial centers. But while the Industrial Revolution brought wealth to some and jobs for others, it came with a price tag. 
And of course, we'll we'll see what that price tag is next seg, uh, next soundbite. But uh, Bob, let's talk about this. This great increase of knowledge, locomotives really really opened a door. Steam power really opened a door. But you know, where are we now in relation to that door that just cracked open in terms of uh, speed of travel, in terms of vehicles, in terms of roads, and things like that? Yeah. So once uh, once the industrial society came up, there were needs, there were goods being produced, and of course then. Logistics comes to play, which is how do you get the stuff where you need it, as well as once you bring people out of the agricultural economy in those those areas where they lived their entire lives and never got within, you know, outside of 50 miles of their homes, that was now no longer the norm. So that requires transportation. And this was one of the predictions of Daniel that they would run to and fro. And so we can look at a number of measures of transportation, maximum speed, number of vehicles, infrastructure, passenger miles, and these factors. And we actually have hard facts, at least in the United States, that we can give you. So if we look at maximum speeds, and once again, we're going to use our frame of reference of 1874. Uh, Back then, a horse top speed was about 38 miles an hour for a horse, and a steam engine could be 50 to 70 miles an hour. That was as fast as you could go. And, of course, this week I came up on a plane that was going at, you know, 570 miles an hour. and Cruising but, along But if we continue, you know, we saw a SpaceX launch that occurred the other day. Well, those, those rockets, the top speed is about 158,000 miles an hour. And what we're talking about doing for deep space travel will really uh, dwarf that as well. So we've seen us go from a 50-mile-an-hour range up to almost 20,000 or 158,000 miles an hour. That's crazy. Dramatic increase. And the other measure, one of the other measures is how many how many uh, vehicles are there that are you doing this? We mentioned that the Industrial Revolution was all about mechanization of right. machines. And so in 1874, there were under 1,000 mechanized vehicles. These were the precursors. Uh, they called them the horseless carriage. Right. Oh, yeah. They were rudimentary cars, so about 1,000. Well, today we have over 475,000 trains. We have over 250 million cars and trucks and over 230,000 planes. <laughs> and so what you see is... Uh, we have more than 250 million mechanized vehicles for transportation today. We're talking about the United States here. Just the United States. Just the United that, States. That, so we go from 1,000 to 250 million. Once again, that sh- curve once again shows up where it goes up precipitously, and isn't that what Daniel said? Well, and, and that's the thing. Daniel says, many shall run to and fro. He, and he's not saying a few here and there. And, you know, back in, in the late 1870s, that's what it really was. It was a few here and there. But the many is the world is running around at an, at an incredible pace uh, just through that, so, through, through, through the mechanization and vehicles. So with, with vehicles, you need roads. Right, and so we have road statistics for the United States. We do not have accurate road statistics for the rest of the world. So in 1874, there were about four miles of paved highway. Four miles? Four miles. One, two, three, four. Four. In the entire United States. There were some cobblestone roads that they didn't count, but these were... uh, Today, we have over four million miles of paved highway in the United States. And so once again you can see how explosive that growth is. And, of course, 
basically we can get on an interstate and go most anywhere in the United States now within minutes of being door-to-door anywhere in the United States. So we've seen how integral that is. And since we have just-in-time everything today, so you can go out on Amazon and this afternoon I can get the package or tomorrow, uh, these are very key to everything that we do. All right. So you've got the the speeds, the vehicles, the roads. And just very quickly touch on what does that translate into miles. And, and, and folks, the reason we're going through this in great detail is it shows that the prophet Daniel, what he spoke, came to be in a more dramatic way than anybody could have ever, ever imagined. Passenger miles. And then I, then, uh, yeah. I think we have a call waiting, do we? Okay. So we had less than 1,000 passenger vehicles in 1874 and very few roads. So miles were very limited. But uh, if we look at today, once again, this is in the United States, we do 55 trillion miles on railroads. Four point just in the United States? Just in the United States. Okay. 4.9 quadrillion miles in cars. So all of those traffic jams and busy roads, 4.9 quadrillion miles, 580 trillion miles in airplanes, which brings us to about 5.5 quadrillion miles traveled in the United States alone. And it's going up. Yeah, it is. And and as a matter of fact, you know, you you you, you mentioned you came from Florida. Uh that's where you you live. You flew up here on an airplane. But you were also you were just in Africa just what? A week ago, 2 weeks ago? A week and a half ago I was in Africa. What were you doing in Africa? Well, we had a uh, a mission trip in a in a Bible conference in Africa. It was in Ghana. And we had uh, representatives from nine different African nations come. Uh, together to uh, have a Bible convention and to study the Word of God. So the great increase of knowledge obviously has hit around the world, and you can be a personal be a personal testimony of that. Right. So my wife and I got up at 5 a.m. in the morning, got on a plane from Ghana. We're in New York by 5 in the afternoon, and by 10 o'clock at night we were back home in Florida all in the same day. Now, that's of going about one-third of the way around the world. <laughs> that's amazing. Folks, if you have a thought, we have a local number for today only. Our, 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 our toll-free number has uh, had some technical trouble. See, we're talking about the great increase of knowledge, and we got technical trouble <laughs> with our with our toll-free number. It's 860, local number, 860-442-9956, 860-442-9956. So we're looking at the, the great increase of knowledge running to and fro, and Daniel's prophecy uh, prophecy was, was just utterly, dramatically fulfilled, and you can see that just by looking around, and that's really what you're doing, Bob. You're looking right. around saying, look, this is what we've got. Let me give you one other perspective. I remember my grandfather, who uh, was born in the late 1890s, uh, told me right before his death, so he died in uh, 1970, and right before his death, he said, you know, I have had the most wonderful life of any people that have ever lived because i have seen us go from horse and buggy and dirt roads to landing on the moon yeah. and he impressed me says and now i've seen men land on the moon that's how dramatic this increase of knowledge is yeah and and you're right that period of time has has been just most amazing and all along the way you know you have those who say and i remember in, in the early 1900s it was um uh, watson who said um Tom Watson from, he said, everything that can be invented has been invented. This is in the early 90s. Really? Yeah. Well, and that's the point. 
this great increase of knowledge, when God puts a prophecy in place, it comes to be in a dramatic fashion. Bob, let's take a few minutes and let's look at, at, at Israel. The nation of Israel being regathered. Because I think we, we talk about that, and for us, it's like, well, of course Israel is there. Because when you think about it, Israel was established as a nation in 1948, and that's before I was born, and that's before you were born. So th- there's nothing new about that when we look at it from the standpoint of our lifetime. But what does it mean from the standpoint of, of, of larger history? Well, I think in larger history, of course, in Jeremiah 28, it says that I will gather uh, the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them. And we really saw that. We saw the starts of that really with the uh, Berlin Congress of Nation in 1878. Of course, now we're going to look at history, but we can see the starts. And once again, as you said earlier, we start with very modest beginnings, and then we see it grow. So so I want to interrupt you there for a second because – Folks, if you notice what's happening, the prophecy of the 1335 days went from 539 plus 1335 brings you to 1874. And there's a – it talks about a blessedness of that time frame. Blessed is he who sees the 1335 days. So just like 1799 was the end of an era and the beginning of another era, and just like 539 was the beginning of something that was very hard to detect, the late 1870s was the beginning, uh, or the mid-1870s, was the beginning of a lot of things that now we look back on and say, wow, look at that. Wow, look at this. All A lot of those inventions you were talking about came out of that era. So the nation of Israel as a nation, actually came out of that exact same time frame as well. Right. And, you know, when we look back at the mid-1870s, we saw innovations with sound. The phonograph was uh, created in that time frame. Communications, the telephone, the light bulb, uh, steam and gas power were produced during that time. Multimedia, for the first time they had rudimentary moving pictures uh, the typewriter and linograph were created, mechanization of mechanized cash registers and so forth, and the beginning of cars. So all of these things had their roots then. And if you look at when you go out and get in your car today, all those underpinnings were key to all of that knowledge being built on. And the nation of Israel had its beginnings exactly at the same time. Yeah. So uh, let's let go into that a, a little bit about you know how how Israel got it got its start. Uh, we're probably gonna have to spill into the next segment on this, but let's get, get started. Okay, with so that. we we looked at 1878 Berlin Congress of Nation. This gave them the ability to start to return to the land because they it, were forbidden before that. Right, they couldn't own any of the land there. Okay, and so it was wait wait I, I keep interrupting you, but this is important. It was so it was illegal for them to own land there. Right, they couldn't own land. Okay, all right. So this started with a very modest beginning in a place called Petitikva. And in Hebrew, that means the gate of hope or the door of hope. And uh, that's actually a place that's uh, right near Tel Aviv. And it exists even today. Okay. In 1896, the first Zionist Congress was created. In 1817, the Balfour Accord opened up. 1917. 1917, yeah. Thank you. Uh, the Balfour Accord came in, and that gave them the right to start to occupy and buy land as well. So it expanded again. So 
the small beginning of 1878 with the Berlin Congress of Nations opens this door of hope, literally a crack. Yep. And, and you have this settlement going in, into Israel uh, of, of Jews going back to Israel. And so by n- 1917, so it takes time. And see, this is the lesson of God's prophecies. They just take time. So 1878, the door opens a crack. And it's not till 1917 that you have that door opening so lots of people can begin to pass through it. Right, and then the hunting and fishing, as described in the Old Testament, start, which pushes God's people back into becoming a people. Of course, in 1948, they became a nation, a fact now that no one would refute, right? They're recognized as a nation. In 1967, Jerusalem in its own place, there's a scripture about that. So Jerusalem was reoccupied. And then in the 1990s, finally, for the first time, the the Jews from all over the world came because the last uh, stronghold of Jews that couldn't get out was in Russia. Okay, so what you have is a development over a period of time, starting in the 1870s to the 1990s, even up to today, where Israel not only becomes a nation, but becomes a thriving nation. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Bob Goodman, and our subject is... Did the prophet Daniel see the future? Coming up, there have always been wars. Daniel's prophecy talks of trouble. How is it different than before? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Did the Prophet Daniel See the Future? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling our local number today at 860-442-9956. Again, that's 860-442-9956. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write to us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. So as we get into our final segment and begin to, to wind down on this, there's an awful lot more to talk about. We want to talk about wars and rumors of wars and things like that. But, Bob, just one last thing on this, this great increase of knowledge and running to and fro. You know, I, wa- I just want to go back to your, your trip to Ghana. You were just in Ghana, uh, Africa, just uh, a week and a half ago, and uh, you were at a, at a conference there. Ghana is not nearly as industrialized as we are. Correct. But they're pretty up to date. Yeah, it's one of the more affluent uh, countries in equatorial Africa. So when you see that, the, the, this increase of knowledge is absolutely worldwide, even even in, in, in places where it may not have be, be quite like it is today. I mean, you really do have it. Yeah, yep. I'll give you an illustration of that, Rick. We were in the uh, the market to buy some some cloth and other things there and of course these are uh, subsistence merchants that mm-hmm. that uh, are marketers and uh, one of them came up to us and said Obama <laughs> another one came up and said Trump so <laughs> you know these people are very much tuned into the world uh, it really shows the increase of knowledge that communications is 
real-time worldwide. Worldwide, and that really is an amazing key. All right, Fred, let's go to another soundbite here. This is um, just, uh, again, sort of wrapping up this this look at the Industrial Revolution, unions and today and, and where we are, and then we're going to get into the rumors of wars and things like that. Workers and reformers protested. They formed unions and associations and fought for government regulations to limit the workday and protect children. These laws helped address many of the abuses brought on by the Industrial Revolution. Today, we are in the middle of another revolution, a technological revolution. We live in what's called the Global Village, because we can connect with people around the world as if they lived next door. And we can now work anytime and anywhere. We will have to wait and see where this new revolution leads. And, you know, one of the places this new revolution leads is to the end of this age and the beginning of the next. And, and we're going to be getting into that right now. But, Jonathan, I do understand that we have a caller uh, on the line. That's right. We have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. I want to thank Bob Goodman for his uh, dedication, his expertise. Uh, wow, there's a lot to uh, digest there. Yes, there is. appreciate that. I, one, one statement he made that I appreciate, too, and that is uh, the uh, understanding of our Lord's return. It's not for the casual observer. There's a lot to uh, research and study and, and appreciate. Uh, one point about Daniel. Here, here's an interesting uh, uh, oddity with the prophet Daniel. Here's a man that in chapter 2 of uh, Daniel, I think it is, he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream without knowing the dream. Right. Isn't that? <laughs> that? That's miraculous right there. And yet, in chapter 12, he's told it's not for you to know. <laughs> right. That, that uh, intrigues me. Now, uh, one other point. Uh, I, I think a key point here you mentioned so well, you talked about so well, and that is Israel. Daniel, in chapter 10 of his book, he is crunched because he is praying. He's petitioning for his people, and uh, there is no answer for him. Finally, the help came, but the key thing is, interesting thing here for me is that uh, uh, his people are the people of Israel. So you see how way back then, the key to this uh, prophetic understanding, as you already mentioned, Israel plays a big role in it. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. Okay, okay bye-bye. And, and he's right. You know, if you wanted to talk about the book of Daniel, we could just be doing it week after week after week after week because there's so much in there prophetically as well as character-wise about how to live a really good life uh, according to God's will. Daniel was one of those great, great scriptural examples. So, Julius, thanks so much uh, for the call and the input. So, so Bob, let's get down to it. Let, let's talk about the, the, the wars and the rumors of wars and why is the... The, that different now than it was then. Jesus was the one who you know, really talked about there would be wars and rumors of wars in his prophecy of his own return. Well, how do we fit into that? Well, you know, there's, there have always been wars, but, right. the, but for the first time, wars were actually worldwide. Uh, so we had World War I from 1914 to 1918. It affected the whole world. There was really no safe place to go. No place you could get away from it. World War II in 1939 to 1945, even more expansive in that the the war, you know, encompassed not only Europe but the whole Pacific theater as well. Uh, 
Then we got into a new type of war, the Cold War, from about 1948 to really they kind of listed as 1991 when the wall came down in Germany. And that was a different type of a war, but nonetheless there were tensions there that actually have their roots in World War II. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Russians were very distrustful of the rest of the Allies because they had taken such tremendous losses to the Germans uh, and and they took the brunt of the uh, the fatalities actually during that war, and then of course starting in uh, the early 2000s, uh, we have the war on terrorism, which according to the experts will go on another 15 to 20 years. That's what they're predicting today. And again, that's a different kind of war. And, and that, I think there's a there's a theme there in terms of the way the world has become. You're right. War has gotten bigger from the standpoint of of drawing in nations world wars you've never seen that but those wars were all about uniformed soldiers fighting uniformed soldiers in specific theaters of battle correct and it was bigger than ever before and of course the massive amount of destruction was larger and you know the 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 introduction of nuclear uh, war came into play in world war ii and so you have that uh, on the stage of bigness but now the war on terrorism is an entirely different kind of war because you're not necessarily fighting uh, uh, uniformed soldiers anymore. Right, and it really brings in the uh, the prophet Joel talked about the weak shall say, I am strong. Mm-hmm. And so we have very small factions that can have very big impacts. For instance, if we look at 9-11 and we look at the impact of the World Trade Tower, that was in the low billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. However, it devastated the entire world economy. So we have these small factions that can have an, a, a tremendous impact on the world. And we've seen the ripples recently in Europe as they've had terrorist events there, how it, it ripples and affects economies, affects people's attitudes towards uh, Muslims and other people. Uh, so it really, really does. It is a different game that we're playing now. And for the first time, because of the increase of knowledge, very small numbers of people can have a tremendous effect on the world. And that is a very important key. Very, and, and that can work for good and for evil. Very small numbers of people can have a tremendous effect on, on the peoples of the world. You can see that in a very good way, and we don't have statistics on it, but you know, we had talked about Israel being reestablished as a nation, and not only are they a nation, but they are a thriving nation. And they're very, very, um, uh, they're important in the world economy. And Israel is a seat of technological advance. It, it's interesting, Rick, that you mentioned that because, you know, since 2008, the world's economy has been in the tank and is slowly coming back. But Israel prospered through that entire time. Interesting. And so you see that a small number of people can affect the world from a great technological standpoint. That's one example. But from the negative side, with terrorism, small numbers of people can affect the masses of the world because these small groups of terrorists have inflicted fear because you never know where they're going to spring up next. Well, and in this uh, highly connected world, one of the biggest dangers is that now very small groups such as terrorists can have effects and can hack into power grids, nuclear facilities. Uh, you know, we've seen it with government facilities and so forth. And so once again, this very small group, these small, weak people can say, I am strong. So 
let's there, there's a couple things I wanted to we only had like three minutes so maybe we can't do this but well let me mention it Jesus says as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be in the days of the of the son of man you, really what you're describing is a time where things are very unsettled now and that's what it was like in the days of Noah is that right and, and I think we see that in the United States today with the uh, all the political situation today people are very unsettled but, you know, as is in the days of Noah, there was a number of things that were happening. There was widespread violence. Right. Sounds like our day, doesn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. There was widespread sex. There was corruption. Yeah, it sounds like our world today, and if you go even outside of the United States, we're living in a, a very nice bubble, actually. But you go in other countries, and you realize uh, this is not the situation worldwide. There's so much tension and there's so much teetering on the brink, and we see that it can all collapse. Okay. Let's wrap this up. What do we take away from this discussion this morning, Bob? For the average person who's just living their life and listening in saying, wow, there's a lot of really exciting things that you're talking about and a lot of really scary things that you're talking about, what does that person take away? Well, first of all, we've established, I think, in both with prophecy and with technology, that we are in the end time. And even if you have difficulties with the specific dates we've stated, you realize things have changed. It's never been like this before. And as such, we realize this is a time of demolition of the old systems so that God's kingdom can be established on a firm foundation. All right. So the average person can take away that, yeah, there's, there's some scary things, there's some fantastic things, but the goodness of God's plan is going to override the scariness for my ultimate good. God has a plan, and everyone is in it. Okay. What about the what about the the Earth? You know, we worry about the Earth. You had mentioned several times. You know, we have the ability to destroy the Earth. We do a good job of of taking advantage of the Earth, and and you know, making it a tough place to live because of our misuse in many ways. What what's in store there? Well, in Ecclesiastes, it says that the Earth abideth forever. So I think we have a pretty clear indication from God's standpoint that it won't be destroyed. But we also have promises that there'll be a times of restitution or restoration of all things, including the planet, and that's yet future. So there is a brighter future ahead. We just have to look beyond the immediate uh, signs. Okay, so you've got that for for the average person. You've got the earth. What what about what about for the for the true follower of Christ who's listening to this and saying, "Wow, there's more to this than I ever thought." How, what's their particular takeaway from this conversation? Well, first of all, it should be assuring uh, to our faith. If we have faith in God's promises, and God's promises are true, you know, the Bible's the only only book with a hundred percent record on prophecy. God's promises will come true. So if we believe these promises and we understand there will be a dark day, but a glorious kingdom is promised beyond that, when all will have an opportunity to uh, come into an alignment with God, then we see the light beyond the immediate doom and gloom. So So it's actually an affirmation of our faith that we're seeing these these, uh, tremendous times that we're in right now. So it's a great opportunity for us if we're truly following after christ to give the good word of hope to everybody bob thanks so much for being with us this morning we really appreciate it well you're certainly welcome it was great great to have you folks look a lot of detail and depth in this morning's conversation but what you take away from it is god's plans 
always work exactly on time, but the problem is it's his time, and we don't always know the exact portion of his time, but be rest assured that, like Bob said, biblical prophecy has a 100% rate of success, and that, my friends, is good news. For Jonathan and Rick and Bob at Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We will be back again next week with another subject, but till then, Daniel the prophet showed us the future. Take it and run with it. Till next week, think about it.